Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Okay, you guys ready to kick it off today? We're in a series called The Gift, and I am so pumped because we're kicking off this kind of Advent season, and I don't know if you know what this, this word means. I didn't, by the way, when I became a Christian, it's new to me, but Advent simply means arrival. It means arrival, and, and it's anticipating the arrival of Jesus. Obviously, for us, we are looking back and celebra- celebrating the Advent season. Traditionally, it kind of follows uh, uh, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and the entire focus is celebrating the arrival of Jesus, the, the greatest gift the world has ever known. And, and I don't know about you, what your experience has been around church, Christmas, all the things. I was having a conversation with someone recently uh, from, a, from a foreign country and asking them kind of like, hey, what's, you know, do you celebrate Christmas? And and they're like, yeah, kind of. And I said, cool, what, what's it all about? You know, because we have cultural differences. And they're like, you know, it's just mainly family and presents and stuff. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like there's some gaps in, in what, what Christmas is actually about. And as Jesus follows, we get to gather and we get to celebrate and anticipate everything that Christmas carries. And, and again, I don't know your like kind of background and your experience, but most of the season carries anticipation and hope. But, but something you might not recognize in the Christmas story and in, specifically in the Advent season is there's also this, this degree of uncertainty and struggle and, and like a period of waiting that, that we're also pressing into. And so for you and I, you and I can take a Bible, we can open it, and you can go from, from the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, and we can literally flip one page to the book of Matthew where we find the story of Jesus. You guys with me on that? Like literally, it's that easy, okay? But what you and I don't realize and what we don't feel internally is from the book of Malachi to the, the birth of Jesus is a span of almost 400 years. And so, so historically, that's called the silent years, if you will. I just want you to imagine, for God's people, there's all these promises that God's been laying down about, about this hope and this coming Messiah and hope for the world and all these things. And then all of a sudden, there's 400 years of silence. They hear nothing. Can you imagine like trying to follow God and for 400 years you hear nothing? There's this gap of like, man, is God even there? Was his, were his promises ever true? Was he ever even actually there? Is, is faith just a waste of time? I mean, I mean, this is the feelings of the Jewish people that, that are, uh, you know, trying to hold on to the promises of God for 400 years of just nothing. And so as we celebrate the story of Christmas, for you and I, we, have re- we can look back and we can you know, kind of put these pieces together, but for them, they're sitting in this middle of like just massive waiting. And I, and I just want to speak to that for a second. Odds are you are familiar with the pain of waiting, right? Like everyone in the room, in, in large degrees and small, we all, all know what it like feels like to be stuck in waiting. Some of us, right, you're in the middle of some heavy waiting right now. Some of us were waiting on, you know, relationships to, to like, you know, show up at all. <laughs> We're like, man, God, just, you know, I've been praying. One date would be awesome. Some of us are, are, are praying for a diagnosis. Some of us are praying for a breakthrough, We're praying for provision and direction and, you know, restoration in relationships and opportunities and promotions at work or, you know, progress and momentum in any area of life. Some of us are just waiting for anything to happen. We just kind of feel stuck. 
Some of us, you're, you're waiting for like, you know, these feelings of rescue. You're just like broken and stuck in some stuff that you can't seem to get over or get through. Some of us are just waiting on a miracle. And we find ourselves in the pain of waiting over and over again. And since you and I are no strangers, if you will, to the pain of waiting, my, my first question for you as we dig into today's conversation is, is what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What is it right now that's just like got you kind of creates anxiety when you start thinking about it, and, and it's like right there, and you're trying, you know, maybe there's lack of clarity. What is it that you're waiting for? You see, for you and I, regardless of where you find yourself on your faith journey, what I hope to do over the next couple of weeks is, is allow the, st- the story of Christmas be- to be more than tradition, but to hopefully speak to the space that we're in, that, that we're in the, the waiting that we're in. And Christmas stands as this beacon of hope. Christmas speaks to a longing fulfilled, Because at just the right time, God's promises were fulfilled, that his love was tangibly demonstrated in a way more extravagant than anyone could have ever asked or imagined. John says it this way in John 1. He says uh, in John 1, 14, the word that is Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us. God in a bod. Guess with me? And we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, Father, full of grace and truth. Listen, I don't know your experience with religion and with church and with Jesus and with Jesus' followers, but my hope is that we can get to Jesus today, and when we do that, you and I are going to experience grace and truth. And so Christmas is this reminder that God will come through on his promises. Christmas is also an invitation that as we slow down, which is really hard, isn't it? Like in the busyness of this season, ironically, it's an invitation to slow down, to pause, and to remember, first, how loved we are, and second, how trustworthy he is. You guys with me on this? There's a really, really big theme that you and I, me definitely, we miss in the hustle of this season. Now there's a scene that most of you are probably familiar with. You got like, can you just right now picture, you know, your favorite nativity scene? Immediately my mind goes to that scene in Home Alone when he's hiding out, you know, but like, what is the, you know, when you picture a nativity scene, what do you see? Odds are you see a couple of things, right? You see like Mary and Joseph and you know, a little baby Jesus, and maybe a few animals, and, you know, maybe an angel. What else do you see at a nativity scene? Anybody? Three smart dudes, right? (laughs) Three wise men. And and here's what's unique. You know, I I don't know if you've ever pressed into this, but over the next couple of weeks, we're going to, we're going to dig into the significance of these guys as they show up and give gifts to Jesus. And, and, and I want you to imagine, okay, they've been waiting. There's this, there's this anticipation And for them, 400 years of silence, now there's a promise being fulfilled, and they are pumped. I mean, like, out of their mind, excited. And so they go, they find Jesus, and they bring three gifts. Matthew 2, let me show you. Matthew 2, verses uh, 10 through 11. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Guys, you can't even begin to imagine, right? Like, imagine the best news ever, and how it would just absolutely overwhelm you. That's the emotion that these guys are carrying. 400 years of silence. Is there even a God? And now it is overwhelming joy. And they go into the house. We're gonna talk about this more next week. They see the child, 
with Mary, his mother, and they fall down and they worship him. Can you imagine this? It's a weird picture, isn't it? Falling down and worshiping an infant. Probably, if we're being, historically, he's probably a toddler. Can you imagine? Anybody got a two-year-old? It's all, you're like, no, I'm out. <laughs> right? No way, right? I mean, this is, a, and, then they, and then what do they do? They, they offer him three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, now, we don't know, we just assume that there's three because of three gifts, but there, there's odds that there are probably more than that, if we're just being honest as we look at history. But what we do know is that these guys would have been highly educated and very wealthy, and they show up with these three gifts. Gold, come on. Anybody could use some gold for Christmas. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I don't know about the other two, but gold, I, hook me up, right? I don't know about you, but when, when, when Grayson was born, we didn't get any of that. We got this thing called a nose Frida, okay? And if you don't know what that is, it is a self-booger sucker, okay? It made me gag every time. It's the grossest thing. It is a straw you stick up your baby's nose, and you suck on the other end, and you pull out there. But why would you? Why? Danielle had to do it, because I literally couldn't contain the gag. It was just disgusting. Anyway, that's what we got when we had a baby. Anyway, all right, so, so they show up, and they give some pretty legit gifts. What we do know about these three gifts is that they're valuable, they're practical, but here's what I want you to know. They are symbolic. I don't know what you know about the Christmas story, but it's not just cool. That's part of the story. Let's move on. These carry incredible spiritual significance and foreshadowing for the life of Jesus. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at these three gifts. Number one, gold represents G- Jesus and his kingship. Myrrh would represent his suffering. Uh, that, that, and, uh, well, Old Testament talks about him as the suffering servant, and then today we're we're going to look at frankincense, which, which represents Jesus as the high priest. You guys with me on this? If you're taking notes, by the way, you, you want to keep, keep up and like write these things down. Frankincense, anybody got essential oils in the room? Right? My, my, my wife is like an essential oils lady, okay? I always call it her witchcraft, but it's, uh, you know, we, we got in, it, you know, essential oils for everything. My first experience with essential oils was not a good one. I was on the airplane, and I was having like massive ear pain from, a, from you know, the the pressure and everything, and, and my eyes are watering, and my head's like exploding, and I have already busted eardrums and stuff, and so I'm just like miserable trying to get off this plane, and so my eyes are closed. I'm just dripping tears into the floor of this airplane, and all of a sudden, I feel this wet thing across my forehead on an airplane in the middle of massive, dire- I'm just, you know, dying over here, and it felt like someone licked me, and I can't even, I barely open my eyes, and I see this old lady you know, I mean, I mean, quite old, like, like uh, my grandmother's age, which, sorry, Grandma, if you're watching online, that wasn't, a, <laughs> I gotta think about how I say things. Anyway, and, and, and literally, I kid you not, she puts it, and she goes, like Simba, on my forehead, and, and I'm like, what did you just put, I don't know you, it was the weirdest thing, and this was before I even knew, I didn't know essential oils was a thing, this was way early on, and this lady puts, I guess, peppermint on my forehead or whatever, but she didn't even ask, it was super weird. Anyway, since then, got a little more comfortable, right? We got it around our house and stuff. And frankincense is one of them, pretty popular oil. You might or might not know about it. Um, frankincense is like the Swiss army knife of essential oils. You guys with me on that? Like, like it's kind of a, a, a do a little bit of everything. It possesses, here, here's, here's what I found out about frankincense. It possesses anti-inflammatory, expectorant, antiseptic, diuretic, anxiolytic, and antineuretic effects. I have no idea what that means, but that's what Google said it does. So, the good news is it does something, right? And, and here's the deal. In this moment, it, w- it would have been a very practical and expensive gift because, it, again, it, as a Swiss Army knife, it helps with sickness and treating wounds. And, and, and here's the significance of it. In the Old Testament, the priests would use frankincense to burn as an incense, symbolizing the, the prayers of the people toward God. 
And so scholars agree that when this gift is given to Jesus, that this represents his high priestly nature, that Jesus is our high priest. You guys with me on it? So first question I have immediately when we get into this is why do I need a high priest? What's the role here? And if you have any Catholic background, you might already be kind of your brain's going different places. It already sounds a little weird, so let me give you a context, okay? Um, um, a couple weeks ago, we, we were in a series called Starting Point, and so I don't have the time today to give it all to you, but weeks two and five of Starting Point, I highly recommend, if you missed it, you go back, YouTube channel, podcast, go ch- catch those messages. But we talked about the difference between being a mistaker and a sinner, we talked about how that word sinner makes us uncomfortable and it makes us feel kind of dirty and we like the word mistaker better, but then we walked in that tension of like, you know, there's some things that like, you know, you can correct a mistake, but there's some things that maybe are a little more than mistakes and you're like, what do you do with that stuff? And what about the stuff that, you know, we keep mistaking and how long do you keep mistaking before it's no longer a mistake? And, right, we just kind of walked around that a little bit and said, May- maybe there's something bigger and deeper in our lives that we're struggling with and Jesus would call it sin, and we, he'd call us sinners, and we just like, it kind of makes us cringe a little bit. But again, if, I don't have time today to dive into that, so if you want to go pick those messages up, I promise they're helpful for you. Weeks two and five of starting point. But let's just assume that we're all a little more than mistakers. You guys comfortable with that? Everyone in the room, a little more than a mistaker, okay? We can at least land there. So, so then if sin is a problem, what, what about it, okay? Now let me just come building framework for why we need a high priest. Sin breaks relationship. Now, whether you want to call it sin or not, think about it. When someone wrongs you, when someone is unloving towards you, it, it severs relationship. There needs to be restoration. There needs to be forgiveness. And obviously, the, the, the severity of the action dictates what, what needs to be mended. But you're very familiar with sin breaking relationship in your own life, or maybe even your actions breaking relationship with someone else. And the same is true of our relationship with God. So when he commands us to love God and people, and you and I fall short of that, that is when we begin to fall into this category of, of being sinners and, and this broken relationship with God. And the question is, you know, how, how do we restore that? How do we fix that? Is it like, do we go to church more? Do we, you know, be a little better? Do we make sure we, you know, don't say as many cuss words and, you know, maybe ch- change our browsing history and, you know, what, not watch certain shows on Netflix? Or, you know, what do we do to fix it? And that's where we find ourselves today. What happens at Christmas, the story of Christmas I need you to get, this is amazing. This is, the story of Christmas is an intentional, intentional and willful collision of both the holiness of God and the sinfulness of humanity. Christmas is the intersection of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of humanity. Now, holy, I don't know what you, you know, we sing songs Christmas and you got a lot of that word floating around. It literally means to be set apart, to be totally different than and so I, I don't know your background and your understanding of these words, but I, we're going to do a little bit of theology work today because what's in our head affects our hearts, which eventually affects our hands. If you and I only do external work, we might be able to shine up the outside, but it doesn't lead to transformation internally. And so when you and I are going to do it, we're, we're a whole person, right? You're not just a brain with legs. You're not just a body. We're whole people, and we have to deal with that. And so when we talk about this, for God to be holy, I need you to get this, that this is not just one of God's attributes. Everybody loves to throw around like, hey, God is love, God is love. The problem is you and I want to define love in our terms, but because of God's holiness, he's the one that gets to define what love looks like. And so I want you to think of holiness as like an umbrella. Holiness is not an attribute of God. It is, it is the perfection of all of his attributes. Does this make sense to you? It's an umbrella. And so, for example, what makes God's love and grace and mercy so amazing 
is his holiness. It's so totally different than anything you and I can, can manufacture or pull off on our own, okay? So, so this is God's holiness. Now, Here's the challenge that you and I face, and this is definitely true of me, especially in our Western culture, individualization, and, you know, we kind of feel good about ourselves, and we kind of take a, you know, glance at morality and weigh ourselves into that space. The less that we understand the holiness of God, the more casual our approach to sin will be. The less you and I understand this, the more casual this gets which is why the weight doesn't sit with us. And by the way, the goal is not, I don't know, you know what you're expecting, but the goal is not for this to be weighty and heavy and you know, you feel, for you to walk away condemned. That's not it. It's way better than that. But there is something to understand that in God's holiness, he must deal with sin. So this is where the priest comes in, okay? Old Testament, you're like, okay, why do I need a high priest again? Let's talk about it. The Old Testament priest was a representative of, uh, of, of the people to God. So once a year, they would perform sacrifices for, for the temporary forgiveness of sin. Once a year, the high priest on the day of atonement would take an animal. You're probably familiar with this. It gets a little weird. You know, it's a, a, an animal without blemish, a little baby lamb, and they would sacrifice that animal, take the blood, sprinkle it on the altar, and, and that animal is a sacrifice, a temporary sacrifice for sin. And, and it symbolizes the death of an innocent one, this animal, in place of the guilty one. You guys with me on the symbolism here? Okay, don't get caught up in, in, in the Old Testament stuff, but, but follow me. You guys heard of the term scapegoat, right? Scapegoat. Okay, so, so in addition to the sacrifice, the high priest would confess the sins of the people over an innocent animal, and it would symbolically represent the transferring of the guilt from the sins of the people to the animal. Okay, it's weird. Just follow me, okay? And then they would take that animal and run it out of town, Run it out of the community, symbolizing the sins of the people being removed. You guys following all of this? Lots of symbolism. You guys with me on that? Okay. Can we just acknowledge it's a little weird? Everybody in the room, can you just kind of shake your head and like, yep, that's already. Like, I was considering Jesus, now I'm out. <laughs> like, it gets a little weird. It gets a little weird. Now, there's this tension, okay? Now, in order to help you understand what's going on here, there's a tension that you and I probably don't feel. In, in God's holiness, he is just. What that means is he must deal with with sin, both, both to him and, and to others. But God is also merciful. So the question becomes, how does God justly deal with sin while simultaneously extending mercy to the ones that he loves? And that's where the, the, this, this kind of symbolism in the picture in the Old Testament comes in, that the sacrifice satisfies God's justice while at the same time he's able to extend mercy to others as a substitute. You guys see this? Because the payment is made by someone else, God's justice is satisfied and mercy is extended. Let me, let me show you like, how Jesus fits this space, okay? Hebrews 10. For God's will were, was for us to be made what? Holy. I don't know what you hear when you hear that, that word. At the church that, that I was serving in um, before we moved here, uh, when we would do baptisms, they made me put on this big white robe <laughs> It was the weirdest thing. Not only am I short, right, and this robe is massive, but I looked like, like uh, the Holy Spirit floating around in water, right? Like, I mean, it was just big, baggy robe, and I think it was to conceal, you know, body parts and stuff and be modest or whatever. But, right, like, it was this really weird, kind of, like, set-apart feeling. I don't know what you hear when you hear holy, but again, for, for this, to be made holy is to be made what? Like him. You guys get this? Picture Jesus, and God's will is for you to be like him. By 
the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all time. You see, under the Old Covenant, this is what we just talked about, the priest would stand and he would minister before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. Right? Because we know that. We're looking at that. It's weird. How does that help anybody? But our high priest, that's Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin. Good for all time, right? So, so everything is, the, the Christmas story is pointing to Jesus as the answer. Now, now, for what it's worth, every faith system offers a solution to the dilemma that we're facing. Like, how do we deal with sin and separate relationship with God and, you know, uh, relationships with one another? Every faith system on the planet offers a, a solution to the dilemma that we find ourselves in. But, in, but through Christmas, God is declaring through Jesus, I don't simply have a solution, I will be the solution. Jesus is the only one that stands up and offers himself as the solution. And so when you and I trust in Jesus, God no longer sees our sin, but he sees his son. He sees Jesus in our place. Now one of the reasons that that this amazing news doesn't immediately like blow our minds. One of the reasons that like you and I can sit here and we kind of you know we get heady and theological and we don't like immediately find ourselves moved emotionally and like you know our lives aren't just blown away, changed is because you and I have a tendency to kind of compartmentalize our lives, don't we? If you're like me, we kind of think in categories and we and we look at and evaluate our lives in, in kind of different compartments. And so as we're talking about sin, we're talking about high priests and all this stuff, odds are, if you're like me, you hear this conversation and you immediately start thinking about your performance and your activity. You start, think, start thinking about the things that you do, don't do, think, don't think, say, don't say. And so then probably in your mind, there's this, there's this thing unfolding. Jesus died for my sin. And, and, and when, when you say that, when, when I say that, when we hear it, you think X. There's something in your mind. Jesus died for that. There's something, you know, that, that I've done or, or that's been done to me. You know, there's something or things that Jesus is dealing with. And so then if I give my life to Jesus, Jesus is gonna help me stop doing X, those things, that sin. And then maybe God will love me. That's where you and I kind of just, our, our hearts kind of gravitate towards this very compartmentalized idea of dealing with sin. And, and listen, hear me. Jesus absolutely wants to help with our stuff, okay? Jesus absolutely wants to enter in and help us overcome it. But I think some of us are, are so convinced that there's only a few aspects of our lives deserving of judgment. We kind of look at our lives and we're like, okay, those are the bad parts of me, but the rest of me is good. And so then what we do is we, we kind of look at the rest of our lives and we're like, oh, I got some struggles and mistakes, but there's no need for repentance anywhere else. And some of us have been taught or we think or we've been made to feel that there's like only a fraction of ourselves that needs saving. Right, like, like okay, that's the, the, that's the stuff we gotta deal with. But what happens is when we compartmentalize our hearts and our minds and our lives, well, then we come to God and we only offer a portion of our hearts to him. Hey, God, deal with this stuff. And here's, here's all I'm trying to get at. Is that for you and I, sin, sin in activity might look different. Your stuff might look, might, might look different than my stuff. And for what it's worth, if you saw all my stuff, you might not ever come back to City Church, okay? So just kind of clear the air there, right? This is not a judgment conversation. The reality is we, just, we have this tendency to kind of highlight the bad and then we justify everything else. Your stuff might have a different expression than mine, but sin is not my activity, but, but it's a condition conversation. 
It's deeper than what I'm doing with my hands and my mouth and my mind. So let's just pretend for a second that that's the case. Let's just pretend that my problems are deeper than my activity. That, that I can't actually fix me. Doing enough or not doing certain things isn't going to make me right with God. Then, then the question naturally comes up. If I, let's just say I empty myself out before God. Let's just say I show up and say, I, I got nothing, I need help. Let's just say I get there. And the question is, could he, could he actually fill me back up? Is he possibly good enough, big enough, to not only fill me, but then to satisfy me? Because let's be honest, sin is fun. It feels good. I wouldn't do it, if we, right? I mean, it's not like, oh, man, I hate doing it. I'm going to do it anyway. Sometimes, I guess, you know, masochist in the room, we, we get there. But, right, if it wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. There's temporary pleasure and temporary satisfaction. So the question is, is, is he actually enough? Let me show you, Hebrews 4. Same author. So then, since we have this great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, what does he do? He understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us, what? Come boldly. Look at the invitation. Because of Jesus, we get to come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. This is amazing, guys. The same God that condemns me is the same God that saves me. The confession, the moment in my mind, in my heart, that, that I, I, I confess, I have this inability to be good enough to be right with God. That there's this shift in my heart and my mind away from self and toward Him. In that moment, Jesus calls it repentance. It's not something I perform for or cultivate a bunch. It's a moment, heart and mind, where I recognize I'm not good enough and I need help. And our hearts get to this place where we just say yes to Jesus. And I need you to hear me. The invitation from Jesus in Christmas is not try harder to stop sinning. We're invited to surrender and ask for help. That's the invitation. And in this amazing invitation, I want you to imagine, what if it's not just that I get something from God, freedom from that sin, maybe a little bit of joy and peace, maybe a new life and happiness or whatever. What if it's not that I just get something from God? But what if I actually get God himself? What if I don't, in this relationship, just get more joy? But what if he, what, what if he is my joy? Jesus as our high priest brings back the relationship that you and I can't earn, maintain, cultivate, perform for. And this is amazing. Now, I want, you, I want to show you what Jesus does. As Daniel comes, let me show you this. Matthew 27, check this out. As Jesus dies on the cross and, and, and utters his last words and his last breath, Matthew records for us that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. That, that curtain represented the divide between God and people. Only the high priest could go between that curtain. And the moment that Jesus dies for the sins of the world, that curtain is torn. I need you to get this, guys. What had once taken a high priest and a temple and a veil and a lamb and an altar can now take place wherever you are because of Jesus. 
Jesus comes into our lives, comes into the world. He pulls down the blinds. Light just floods into the rooms of our hearts and our minds as he tears the veil. And all of a sudden, you and I can see God for who he really is. We can see sin for what it really is, a cheap substitute. We can see ourselves for who we really are and how loved he says that we are. And when you and I embrace this invitation, we find it a joy to turn to God. It's not condemnation and shame and guilt. It's amazing. And in that turning, we can know that he's not just a distant God that feels sorry for us and says, good luck. But Hebrews 4 says that he understands what you're going through. He understands, and not only that, but he cares. So are, are you stressed? Are you anxious? Are you overwhelmed? He knows what it all feels like. You have some crazy people in your family? So did he. You've been criticized and, and just shut down over and over. He knows exactly what that's like. You've been betrayed, left out, alone, isolated. He knows exactly what that feels like. You felt abandoned, wondering where in the world is God? He knows exactly what that feels like. Whatever you feel, he's felt. And as our high priest, he cares. Let me show you God's desire for you and me in 1 Timothy. God's desire is for all people to be saved, saved from sin and to himself, brought back into relationship with him, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator. Jesus, our high priest, between God and man, that man, Christ Jesus, who what? Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at just the right time. I need you to get it, guys. God was on mission for you in the Christmas story. And then through you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he is on mission through you for the world. And so if we're invited to trust in Jesus, then what? Let's go back. Hebrews 4. I don't want you to miss it. Verse 16. Hebrews 4, 16. What does he say? Right at the end. So let us come boldly. Let's come boldly. So my question for you is still the same as we started. So, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Can I just invite you to wrestle with this incredible invitation that you and I have the chance to come boldly daily? That when we start this fast tomorrow is an intentional giving up of what I love to create a hunger and a desire in me that then I turn in pursuit of him. That's why we fast. To give my attention, my energy, to come boldly daily with my help, with my weakness, with my struggles, with my frustrations, with my heartache for my friends, for my family. You and I daily get to come boldly this week. You guys with me on that? The second thing, listen. Friday night, December 10th, we get to come boldly together. We try to create space that prayer is our first response, not our last resort. 
and we get to come boldly together through worship and prayer on Friday night, Friday night, culminating in a week of fasting and prayer, seeking God to fill us and to flow in and through us. So I'm inviting you, man, prioritize that space. Make plans to join us. Because when we seek God in prayer, we, we know that we experience him in power. Maybe the invitation for you is to come boldly today. That today you can say yes to Jesus and there's nothing that separates you. Jesus has made a way. At 15 years old, I gave my life to Jesus because every other obstacle had been removed. There weren't hoops to jump through, religious things to perform. It was trusting in him. And if you've never come boldly to Jesus, I want you to know you can do it right now today in your heart, in your mind. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for me, that you rose again to save me, to set me free, to fix my stuff, to make me right with you and empower me to live the life you called me to. Maybe the invitation to, for you is to get baptized today. Not just to come boldly in faith in Jesus, but then to celebrate externally what Jesus has already done internally through, through baptism. Then when we go under the water and come back up, it's a picture that Jesus has saved us and set us free. It's a celebration. If you're interested in getting baptized, you've never done that. We have church clothes, all that stuff for you. I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium as we worship together. And if God is telling you you need to take that step and you've never been baptized after trusting in Jesus, come find me. Let's do it today. And lastly, there's a card I'm going to invite you to use right now in that little packet. You'll find it and you'll grab it with me. This little VIP card. If you're online with us, you can just write three numbers, one, two, three. Because not only are we invited to come boldly, but right now I want to invite you, get this card out and do this with me. We talk often about our VIPs, very important people, God, people that, that God has placed in our life who are, who are either disconnected from faith altogether, disconnected from church, or, or any kind of combination of that. Three very important people that God has given us influence with. I want you to take that card right now with me. And I want you to write the names of the three people that you're going to pray for and invite and, and, and ask God for opportunities, not only to invite to Christmas Eve, but just to have dialogue with, influence with, progress with. Who are your three VIPs? Because you and I have the opportunity to come boldly for others. That we can go to God. Here's what's amazing. When he makes us like him, you know what we're called? He is our high priest and he calls us us priests and we get to stand in the gap as well here's my invitation take some time write the three VIPs you can put their first name you don't have to put their whole name you can do whatever you want it doesn't matter and then at the end of the service as you walk out there's a Christmas tree in the lobby I'm just inviting you to take this card and set it in that tree just so we can see collectively as a church who we're praying over as we're praying for opportunities to invite and invest and serve and love and give. So take some time, fill that card out. After the service is over, go stick it in the tree. And we're gonna just keep praying over it together. And lastly, I don't know if you can see it, there's a little bracelet here. In the lobby, there's a table set up with a little bracelet making station. And it's an opportunity for you just to imprint. I put the three initials of my three VIPs on this bracelet. You can see it there. Take a hammer, get to wax something, feels good. And you get to make a bracelet, I put the three initials on my VIP so I remember to pray for them between now and Christmas Eve. You're not obligated to do that, but know it's there to serve you, that if this would be helpful to you, 
Make a bracelet, make a necklace, hang it on your, your mirror in your car. But after you fill out that VIP card and you stick it in the tree, their initials are on this band. So I pray for them consistently. So what are we going to do? We're going to come boldly daily this week. We're going to come boldly together at the end of the week. We're going to come boldly today in worship and in prayer. And then we're going to come boldly before others. Or I'm sorry, for others. We're going to see what God's going to do in and through us. Let me pray for you.